Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And that's interesting because it tells us we have to settle within our hearts that the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, is God. And that means he's in control. That means he's the Lord. So when we look at places in the New Testament where we see the Lord Jesus Christ and the demons in total submission to him, which we see in Matthew 8.28, and Matthew 8.28 where it says, and when he was come to the other side in the country of the Gadarenes, there met him two possessed with demons coming forth out of the tombs, exceeding fear, so that no man could pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, the demons cried out, saying, what have we to do with thee, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Interesting, they're very conscious of that time. And then we see another place where we see that in Mark one twenty three. Mark one twenty three, he says, and there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, let us alone, and what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace, come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. These are two instances where we see demons, demons of hell, submitting themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging he is holy, acknowledging he is God, acknowledging he will be the one to torment them, acknowledging he's gonna be the one to destroy them. So these are pictures that we have of the lordship, of the godship of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first requirement for Joseph or anyone who goes through suffering is to settle it in the heart that the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is the supreme ruler over all. There's a throne in our hearts. Each one of us has a throne in our hearts. And we determine who's gonna sit on that throne. And before we were believers, self sat on that throne. Now he says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means give up that place. Get off of that throne and let the Lord Jesus Christ enthrone him in your hearts. Make him the Lord of your lives. Okay, Now, to sanctify the Lord God in the hearts means for us to give him the place of the God-man in our hearts. As God, the Lord Jesus Christ brings God's message to man. We read the Bible, that's the Lord speaking to our hearts. He's God speaking to us. God bringing God's message to man. But it's important for us also to see him as man because we need a man. We need a man to bring our message to God. And our message is we want forgiveness, we want cleansing. He is the man to represent man to God in heaven. 
as man, he's our priest who made reconciliation for us, which is talked about in 2 Corinthians 5.19. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses again to them. And he did all this work for us at the cross. This is what it's meant by sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is what it's meant by Christian dedication. But in addition to dedication, this verse in Peter, 1 Peter 3.15 is talking about a preparation. A preparation. When it says, be ready, that means be prepared. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you. So be ready means to be prepared. And there's two words in this verse and there's two words in this verse, 1 Peter 3.15, that tell us that we should be ready for to give first an answer and we should be ready to give a reason. Those are the two words in 1 Peter 3.15 that we need to be ready. The first preparation seen is the word answer. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason. Answer, reason, answer, reason. First answer answer. The Greek word there is apologia. Apologia. It doesn't mean to apologize. (laughs) That doesn't mean to always walk around being ready to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No. (laughs) Okay. It it means, it doesn't mean to apologize. It means to present a defense, to present a defense. It's where we get our word apologetics, apologetics. There are two areas encompassed in the word apologia as we Christians need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. The first defense that we need is of the Bible. The greatest attack on the Bible today is really in the first, first chapters of Genesis and on creation and on the worldwide flood. That's why the creation and earth history museum, I'm not trying to give a plug here, I'm just trying to describe it, in Santee is built around this first defense, which is to equip believers with the scientific defense of creation and the worldwide flood that happened with Noah. And every Thursday night, again, not a plug, just telling you, every Thursday night we have a study at the Creation Earth History Museum which equips believers with a defense through through a study so that believers can give this answer, so believers can be prepared to give this answer, this apologia. The second preparation that believers need for an answer is a defense of why you are a Christian, why you are a Christian. Every Christian should be prepared to tell at any moment how he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Every Christian should be ready at any moment to explain the reasons why you became a Christian. No person is born a Christian. No one can say, I was born a Christian. (laughs) That's not true. No one can say, I've always been a Christian. I've always been a Christian. There was a time when every Christian received the Lord Jesus Christ, like it says in John 1, 12 through 13, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So for every believer, there was a time when he had not received the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a time when he had not received the Lord Jesus Christ and he was not born again. And then there was a time when he did receive the Lord Jesus Christ and he was born again. And the preparation we're talking about here is to be ready to give an answer, which is to be ready to to tell what were the lines that drew him to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? What were his, the, the lines that drew him personally to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? What were the reason 
I'm not talking about Christian cliches. I'm talking about a preparation in the heart where a person can speak from the heart and tell what were the reasons that caused me to give my heart and my soul and my life to the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and God. And every Christian should be prepared so they're ready to tell how they came to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember my wife, I remember what she told me when she received the Lord Jesus Christ. She was nine years old. It was the pastor of her church in Akron, Ohio, who on that Sunday decided he was going to go visit the classes, the Sunday school classes for the young people in his church. And he came to her class as he was going from class to class, and he just explained to her class that the Lord Jesus Christ died for the sins of every nine-year-old in that class. And on the way home from church, Cheryl sat in the back seat and cried all the way home as she thought of how the Lord had died for her sins, and by the time they reached the home, she had received him as her Savior. That's her story. And if you asked her, she was prepared to tell you that. In my case, it was Pastor Ray Hahn at the Manual Baptist Church of Pacific Beach, who asked me if I had ever received the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior, and then explained to me I needed to pray and tell God that I was a sinner, which was no problem for me. <laughs> I needed to tell God that I believed that God did become a man, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I needed to tell God that I believe that he died for my sins and rose again on the third day and that I should invite him into my heart to be my God and Savior. And I did that in September of 1970. But every Christian needs to be prepared to be ready to tell every man how he came to the Lord Jesus Christ to receive him as his Lord and Savior. I mean, that's a question. Could all of us stand up and tell everyone without Christian cliches, without preaching a sermon, but just to state clearly, this is when I received the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where I received the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why I received the Lord Jesus Christ. This is how I received the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is how I know that I have received the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a preparation. But this preparation for, to be ready doesn't stop with this word apologia, which is translated answer. It goes on to say in 1 Peter 3.15, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason, a reason of the hope that is in you. Not only be ready to give an answer or a defense for why we are a believer, but we must be ready to give what's called here a reason. Now, this is a Greek word, which is the word logos. It's the word logos. Reason is the word logos, which means the word, the word. It's referring to the Bible. This is different from, this, from the first word, answer, apologia. This is different because that's where we give our personal story, our subjective personal story of how we came to the Lord Jesus Christ, how we came to him as our hope. Okay, this is telling, that's telling my story. But this word logos, which is translated answer, is now an explanation for the hope that's in us based on the Logos, based on the Word, based on the Bible. This is where we say, the Bible says, the Bible says. And we need to be prepared to explain our hope from the Bible, from the Logos, from the Word of God. Again, these two preparations that make us ready go hand in hand. We should be able to explain how this happened to us personally, what personally happened to us to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a subjective, that's a preparation to be ready. And we should be able to explain objectively from the Bible why we have this hope by saying the Bible says. Personal testimony is needed in our ability to explain our personal testimony. That's the apologia. But that alone is not enough. 
because we also need the Logos to explain from the Bible the basis for our hope. And also, if a person only has the Logos part, if they only have the Logos part where he may know what the Bible says forward and backwards and how a person can have hope based on the Bible, but he doesn't have a personal testimony of how he personally came to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's not enough. That's not enough. Both preparations, answer, reason, are needed to be ready. The preparation of being able to explain personal testimony of the Christian and the preparation to be able to explain from the Bible, the biblical basis of the hope. That's the reason why. Because people are born again, as it says, by the incorruptible word in 1 Peter 1.23. 1 Peter 1.23 says, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So what God requires of us Christians is a Christian dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme God of the universe, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. We need to be, have a Christian preparation of how we came to him as our Savior and our God. We need to have a Christian preparation of the Bible as the foundation of our hope and what the Bible says. Now, this is the personal testimony and the biblical testimony. Now, we see also from verse 21 in Genesis 39, from our verse here, verse 31, that it says that the next part of 1 Peter 3.15 applies here, where it says, be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. There was something about Joseph that was expressed in this verse 21 of Genesis 39 when it says he got favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. I mean, Potiphar saw this also about Joseph. Something was different. And then Potiphar entrusted all that he had to Joseph. The keeper of the prison saw the same thing, something different about Joseph. And so the keeper of the prison entrusted all that he, the prison to Joseph. Pharaoh saw something different about Joseph. And so Pharaoh entrusted all of Egypt to Joseph. Something different about Joseph. Joseph was described by Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, I'll tell you what it is. In Genesis 41.38, Genesis 41.38, Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is in whom the Spirit of God is? The Spirit of God is very attractive. The Spirit of God is very attractive. And when people saw the Spirit of God in Joseph, they were attracted to Joseph. The Spirit of God is very attractive in us. And when we yield to the Spirit of God and people see the Spirit of God in us, they're attracted to us. They're attracted to us. The question may become something like, you are different. You are different. You're not like the rest. What you've got, I want. And that's what others saw in Joseph. They were attracted to him because there was something very different about Joseph and they couldn't explain it. It was a hope that Joseph had. And Joseph displayed this hope when he was down there in this terrible situation of the worst prison. That was a benefit of him being in prison. People got to see that. The hope that Joseph had is the same hope that you and I have. And what's this hope? This hope that you and I have is one word that's described in the Bible. The hope is described with the word glory. Glory. It's the hope of glory. It's described in Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27 says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, 
the hope of glory. The hope of glory, of course, is referring to the glory, heaven, but not only. And deep down in the heart of man, there's a hope to go to heaven. Every person wants a solid hope that when they die, that they're gonna go to heaven. But there's something beyond this hope here that when you die, you go to heaven. And it's described in Hebrews chapter six, verse 19. Hebrews 6, 19 describes something wonderful about this hope when it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. See, this very important verse in Hebrews 6, 19, because it's not just describing hope as something that is coming in the future, you know, like going to heaven. It's described as in the present. It's described as right now. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul that is sure and steadfast. That's sure and steadfast. You know, I remember one time when we were a sailboat, and we were in San Diego Bay and decided to not buy tickets for the outdoor concert Oh, maybe you were playing, as a matter of fact. <laughs> so anyway, so we, 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 I parked the boat. Parked the boat. We don't really put it in reverse and park it. I mean, I put, I put the boat there by the, by the, the, the symphony playing. And then I put the, the anchor down in the boat. Well, you know, that part of the bay is, doesn't have very many rocks for the anchor to drift. So, you know, the first part of the concert was very interesting, really enjoying it. But then as time went on, it was getting harder and harder to see and to hear because the boat was drifting, <laughs> drifting toward the bridge. Anyway, so when it says that anchor is described as sure, that means it's set well. It's set well. Just a, a, it's a well-set anchor. And it gives, and it doesn't, and the boat doesn't drift away like the, the boat is drifting away. And it, and it won't allow the boat to slowly drift away. So this anchor of the soul is sure because it does not let the soul slowly drift away from the Lord Jesus Christ through prosperity or good times. Now, this anchor is also described as steadfast, as steadfast, which means it's gonna hold up under stress. There was no stress in San Diego Bay that night, but you get out into a situation, which thank God I haven't been in, but I read about it because I get the mag. I don't go sailing much, but I get the magazine sail, and I feel like I've gone sailing if I read it. So it, it takes the place of, it's much less expensive. But anyway, but I like to read about these harrowing things, and there was just one in there about a man who decided to, an old man, actually, older man, who decided to go around the world, and his wife said, I'm not going, so he went alone. And he wrote every day, it was a blog and all this, and, and about some of the things, you're like, oh my, you know, like 60, 70 knot winds and waves that knocked the boat over anyway. When that happens, you need an anchor that is steadfast, and it gives a stability to the boat when the boat's in a storm. So when the boat's being beat by waves and strong winds, this anchor steadfast will not allow the boat to be destroyed. So this is an anchor of the soul that is steadfast, and this was the situation here with Joseph where he was in the storm of being in the prison and he was not gonna be destroyed. And the reason the believer has this type of an anchor that's sure and will not allow him to drift away in good times and is steadfast will not allow him to be destroyed in hard times is where the anchor is set. The reason is because where the anchor is set, the anchor is set in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. We can't see, we can't see. This is so interesting, go out into the ocean, was set an anchor 
Clint, you never set anchor because you were on a submarine. Submarines never anchor, right? But anyway, so when you're on a boat, you set an anchor. You know, you drop the anchor over the side and you watch that anchor. You know, you drop it over the front there and as the chain goes out and you watch the anchor and it disappears. It disappears. You don't see it anymore. All you see is the line that goes into the water, but you don't see where the anchor is set. You just see the line that goes into the water. And it's the same way with our souls. We don't see the end of the anchor lines where the anchors are set. It's hidden for us. It's described in Hebrews 6, 19 as within the veil, within the veil. The reason the anchors of our souls is sure and it keeps us from drifting in good times instead says, and it keeps us from falling in the bad times because the other end of the anchor is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's holding it. He's holding tight onto that anchor and he's not gonna let it go, which is what he said in John 10, 28. John 10, 28, where he says, I give it to them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He's holding the anchor. His hands are strong. He's holding our anchor lines. He keeps us from drifting away, from falling away. This is a strong anchor that's pictured as the hope of the soul. Which hope, Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And what's seen by the lost is a certainty. What, What they see in us, it's a certainty. It's a confidence. It's a certainty in our souls. That's based beyond explanation. They can't explain it. And, and, and they may not agree that Jesus Christ is God, but they respect the certainty. They respect the sure and steadfast hope that we have as an anchor of the soul. Because the lost don't have this. The lost don't have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Instead, what kind of, but they have anchors of the soul, all right. They're just not sure and steadfast. But the lost may have another man or another woman as an anchor of the soul. Someone that they've put their hope in and their trust in as an anchor of their soul. That's this anchor of the soul that's going to give them the confidence. It's going to give them the assurance in life. That's a weak anchor. It's a weak anchor that will not hold up because that person that they are trusting in for their confidence, their soul's confidence, their soul's assurance, it's going to disappoint them in their life, or they're going to die and they have with the Bibles, and they're going to be disappointed. As the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.5, Jeremiah 17.5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusteth in man, and maketh the flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Man who trusted man has a weak anchor of the soul. And it's not sure, it's not steadfast, and the anchor is going to become easily dislodged. Now, the lost may say, you know, like Paul Simon wrote, I am a rock, I am an island, okay? They may have their own self as an anchor of the soul to give them the confidence and the assurance. A lost person may be trusting in his own truthfulness, for example, as an anchor of the soul, like Shakespeare wrote, to thine own self be true, in Hamlet, you know, yeah. and it must follow as the night, the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Let's talk about truthfulness. Trusting in the truthfulness of man is not a sure and steadfast anchor. It's not a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul because the Bible says in Psalm 116, 11, Psalm 116, 11, all men are liars. And it says in Romans 3, 4, God be found true, but every man a liar. And it says in Psalm 58, 3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And the heart of man is desperately wicked. (music) 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.